1: There's a battle going on for the souls of men The taste of war is ever dear, But I am safe within the arms of God's dear bride She is the keeper of my soul, she is the church of Christ
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Breidenbaugh of the Gospel Defender Ministries. The message you are about to hear will encourage and equip those who have ears to hear to be a Christian, clothed with the armor of a Gospel Defender. After writing 11 chapters, the preacher wrote in the 13th verse of the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. The conclusion was this Fear God and keep His commandments. When we boil down the purpose of our lives, it could not have been stated more clearly or truthfully than that. Let us fear God and keep His commandments. In the fourth chapter of John's Gospel, after conversing with the woman by the well, the disciples of Jesus told him he should eat some food. He said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. It was in his prayer of John chapter 17 that he said to his heavenly Father, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus could have said, and he is the only one who can say it, I have feared God and kept His commandments. It has been said, and rightfully so, that Jesus came to this earth to die for the sins of the human race and to make the way for men and women to be saved from their sins and be reconciled to God by the offering of His blood on the cross for the benefit of those who have been led to believe otherwise We must be quick to add that His blood, without our obeying the plan designed by the Godhead to receive the saving benefits of His blood, availeth nothing. Receiving salvation from sin without any act of obedience is a doctrine of men, not of God. This is why we preach Acts 238 and kindred scripture in these radio broadcasts. To receive salvation from sin, Apostle Peter said that we must repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you prefer hearing what Jesus himself said concerning this matter, we direct you to Mark 16:16. 16, 16. The Lord of salvation said, He who believes and is baptized, will be saved. This message concludes a message titled, What did Jesus build and how did he build it? Should you ask what this message has to do with what I have said, it is this. Jesus came not only to this earth to save men and women from their sins. He came to establish his kingdom, his church, One cannot be a member of his church without being saved. Salvation and church membership are linked to one another, like the links in a chain-link fence. Just as salvation without any act of obedience is a doctrine of men, so is salvation without church membership. Or to put it another way, so everyone will understand, No one can be a member of the church that Jesus built without obeying the gospel plan of salvation. If you have never obeyed what the Word of God says to do for salvation, you are not a member of the Lord's church, regardless of what any theologian or denominational creed might say. The church Jesus built began in Jerusalem on the day of Acts 2 Pentecost, and it grew at a phenomenal pace on the first day acts 241 says about 3000 souls who had been immersed in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins became christians and were added to the church acts 247 says people were being saved every day and were added to the church by the lord No one joined the church. They were added to the church. The church was and is no accident. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, He would build His church, and He did. He built and purchased her with His blood. That church, His church, is present and active on this planet we call Earth and she continues to have people added to her to this very day. In our previous two messages, we have noted five of the seven ways in which Jesus built and continues to build his church. He did this in the first century, and he does this in this 21st century through people, preachers, preaching, power, and a divine program. It is at this time we consider the other two ways. The first of these two ways may come as a surprise, but it is in your Bible. The sixth way is through or by the process of punishment. Church growth specialists would never include this bullet point in their PowerPoint presentation on how to grow a local congregation, but church growth experts are not the Lord of the church. The punishment he dished out on the church produced purity, and purity grew the church. It is in Acts 5 that we see this truth. Ananias and Sapphira conspired to sell a piece of property and withheld a portion of the proceeds from the sale. That was all right, but to lie about it was not. They did not lie to men, but to God. After Peter made that pronouncement, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. He wasn't down and out for long until the deacons had him wrapped up, carried out from the assembly, and buried. Three hours later, Sapphira, his wife, came bouncing into the assembly, expecting to be praised for what she and her husband had done for the hour, for the church. It's one thing to be a couple of minutes late, but three hours? She was quizzed by Peter regarding the sale of her and her husband's property. She lied just as did her husband, and boom! Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. Again in came the deacons or the ushers, wrapped up her body, carried her out of the assembly, and buried her by her husband. The same thing resulted in both of these deaths. Great fear came upon all those who heard these things, including the church. God punished these two phonies to keep the church pure. The church lost two on the attendance board and maybe a couple of bucks in the offering plate. But the church was saved from impurity and contamination. Christ could not build his church with leaven within her ranks. Today's church would have overlooked the lives lives of these two hypocrites as personal shortcomings, and would have thanked them and God for whatever money they gave. After all, there is a mortgage payment that has to be met on the first of each month. But Christ could not build His church with unrighteous hypocrites as members. Today's church opens her doors to people who have no intention of repenting of their sins. Sometimes they are baptized in water in the name of Christ, but they do not repent. They become members of the local congregation, and their names are added to the local roll book when they have never been added to the Lamb's book of life. They whisper, gossip, whine, cry, complain, and in general make the lives of the congregation miserable, but especially the preachers. They are coddled, cuddled, and cooed. They are catered to, but whenever they choose to attend, they are never ever content with the church. Their number can become so large that the whole spiritual character of the church is gradually changed. What was once a spiritual, holy, worshiping body of Christ becomes a group of people who... Seek anything and everything except the Lord's will for His church, apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers. The punishment of God that produced purity resulted in church growth. The world heard about what took place down there at the Jerusalem church. Fear came upon all who heard these things. Acts 5 verse 13 says that none of the rest dared join them. There are people who were saying, Don't go to that church in Jerusalem. You might die. They kill people down there if they don't do what they want them to do. And by the way, this was God's way of keeping the impurity of the world out of the body of Christ. It was not invited in. Rather than stunting the church's growth, verse 14 says, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Christ was building his church, and not everyone was suited for membership. Not everyone was welcomed into her. They were not qualified to be members. Qualifications established, not by men, but by God. But those who were believers, who were obedient to the faith, were welcomed. Seventh, Christ used proper polity, or church government. He built his church that was overseen and guided by a government of qualified leadership. We know that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The apostles were hand-selected by Christ. We would expect them to be qualified. The prophets were hand-selected by God. We would expect them to be qualified also. But there were other leaders besides the apostles and prophets. The first leaders selected by someone other than Christ or God were those men selected, in Acts chapter 6, to serve tables. They were selected by the congregation. The apostles told the Jerusalem congregation to seek out from among you seven men. It was the congregation of believers who had the responsibility to select seven leaders to perform an important ministry that would have a direct bearing upon the well-being of the congregation. And there were qualifications to be met. They were to be men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. The local church that Jesus built in Jerusalem found seven men within her own ranks, Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. These men met the qualifications set forth by the apostles. One could say these men met the qualifications set forth by the apostles' doctrine. Every congregation needs at least one leader. Some need several, but every congregation needs at least one. If there is to be one leader, then surely it ought to be the preaching evangelist. If he is not qualified, then it is up for grabs as far as what the congregation will or will not be. One time a preacher wrote to me and said there are no qualifications in the Bible for a preacher. That preacher had been around for several years, but evidently had never read either First and Second Timothy or Titus, not to mention the book of Acts and the other epistles. The preacher's qualifications may not be listed in ABC order, as are the qualifications for elders and deacons, but there are qualifications for them to meet. The first one is that he is to be a man who not only is able, but is a man who does preach the word. Christ built his church using qualified men as leaders. The local congregation is not training qualified leaders in most places these days. We leave this up to institutions of higher learning and look At where this has gotten us, the church cries that there is a shortage of preachers. And then she cries that the crop we have is coming out of our institutions of higher learning, needing to be converted themselves. This is true in many cases. Young men are graduating from Bible colleges looking like the world, rather than looking like Timothy. Earrings, tattoos, baggy pants, open shirts, tattered jeans, tennis shoes, is the dress code of the modern-day professional clergy. And please, don't write and tell me that dress doesn't have something to do with the presentation and the acceptance of the gospel. It does. As a member of the Church— You might be able to sit in the pews of a congregation with your earrings, tattoos, baggy pants, open shirts, tattered jeans, and tennis shoes. But for an Ambassador of Christ, who stands before the Lord's Day assembly, or any other assembly as far as that is concerned, including ministering at the sacred table of the Lord, one's personal appearance does matter. Those who have spiritual eyes understand that the clothing the preacher wears reflects upon the message the preacher preaches and the one who he represents, and it is also sending a message to the crowd to whom the preacher is appealing. We are not going to get the eldership right until we get the preacher's right. So I am going to leave the elders alone. For now, Christ built his church, and he continues to build it. Addressing the church of the dispersion, Peter said, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is not finished with building his church. She will be built according to his pattern and not ours or a movement that still needs restoration itself. Five of the seven churches of Revelation two and three were addressed as churches, but they were also warned by Christ that he would remove their candlestick unless they repented. This may be the same percentage of congregations today that need to repent or perish. Five out of seven. These days, everybody is looking for a shortcut, an easy way to get almost anything done. We need to be reminded that It took God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, four thousand years from the beginning of the creation, to put into motion the plan that saves men from their sins. That plan had been formulated before the foundation of the world. The hard work has been done by the Godhead, and their work is finished as far as having built the most glorious living organism the world has ever beheld, the Church of Christ. The day is nigh that the Son of God will return to deliver her to His Father in heaven. Only those who have obeyed the only gospel plan of salvation there is or ever will be will go on that celestial trip to the New Jerusalem. Acts 2, verse 38, is the ticket everyone must have to be part of that holy throng of people and nations to go on that trip. Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins we have answered our own two questions. What did Jesus build? He built his church. How did Jesus build it? He built it with people, with preachers, with preaching, with power, with a divine program, with punishment that produced purity, and with proper church polity. Any congregation built in any other way, is not part of the church that Jesus the Christ built. It is written in Psalm 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. There are many church houses that have been and that are being built in vain. They look good. Multitudes flock to them every Lord's day. We can only pray that someday some in that multitude will have ears to hear what the Spirit has revealed in Holy Writ concerning our two questions.
1: There's a battle going on for the souls of men, the feast of war is there. Of God's dear bride She is the keeper of my soul She is the church of Christ I'll not surrender
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Ball of the Gospel Defender Ministries. You have just heard another Gospel Defender Ministries radio broadcast brought to you by the church that Jesus built that preaches all of the word to all of the world. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Find someone today who will immerse you into Christ today before it is everlastingly too late. Our mailing address is Gospel Defender Ministries, Post Office Box 575-Chillicothe, C-H-I-L-L-I-C-O-T-H-E, Chillicothe, Ohio, Zip 45601. You can also contact us through the World Wide Web at gospel-defend.org or by email at agosdef, A-G-O-S-D-E-F, agosdef, at birdrunner.com. At your request, a written transcript or an audio copy of today's message will be sent to you free of charge with no obligation from you now. In the future, we need to hear from you as soon as possible, so please take the time to contact us today. Now, until you and I meet again at this same time and at this same place, our prayer is that you will be steadfastly set for the defense of the gospel. gospel.